Welcome to Authentic Moments. Listen in as we engage in conversations about a range of topics surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. These conversations are meant to educate, inform, and feed curious minds, all part of how Cone Health is right here with you. Hi, my name is Nikita Green, and I'm the Chief Diversity Inclusion Officer at Cone Health. And today we're talking about all of the things that people are really curious to know about the transgender community, but um, haven't been able to ask. Uh, and my guest today is uh, Demir. And Demir, would you um, tell us a little bit about what you do here at Cone Health? So my name is Demir and I am the LGBTQIA educator and trainer. And my main job here at Cone Health is being a clinic front office rep but I've had a luxury of educating different departments within Cone Health on taking care of the transgender community because we're in an area that might not have the opportunity to know someone in their family or their fan group that is transgender and see the different kinds of disparities that they go through in an area like this. Fantastic, and you have been um, a huge part of educating our staff across the system for about a year and a half now and a phenomenal leader in, a, in our LGBTQIA plus um, inclusion network group. So we thank you for, um, for joining us to have this conversation today and for what you've done at Cone Health for sure. So, um, so approximately, um, according to Pew Research, approximately 5.1% of adults younger than 30 identify as transgender and 44% of adults personally know someone who is transgender. So I guess in terms of you know, what people are really curious about, let's start with um, understanding what does it mean to be transgender? To be transgender means that you identify outside of your assigned sex at birth. And for people like myself, that could mean I was born female, so the abbreviation that we tend to use in the community is FTM, which means female to male, or the latter, which is MTF, or male to female. And we, we're all just people that we don't feel like ourselves in our bodies, and that's something that goes back to gender dysphoria, which is a diagnosable concern, and you can even see it on your problems list now if you see it in EPIC. Um, it is difficult to diagnose. It's difficult for a patient to explain it if they're not aware of how to come to terms with it on their own. And it's something that you might feel your entire life, but don't take action on until you're older and know that this is exactly what it means to be trans. And I, I am not happy in the body that I am in currently. And so thank you for that. And and so you, you touched on gender identity. Can you talk a little bit about that distinction is sometimes that is something that people get tripped up on. What is the distinction between sexual orientation and gender identity? The easiest way for people to understand the difference is sexual orientation is your preference. This means what, what it is that you like in a partner. And these are things you can't change also, but being a gender identity is something you also can't change where it has nothing to do with sexual orientation. You could be transgender and be straight or transgender and identify as any part of the LGBTQIA. But being trans is more of a self-feeling inside where 
it's not about who you'd prefer to date. It's who you are deep down inside. So that's the best way to differentiate it. It's how you identify it versus your sexual preference. And so how do people you how do people realize um, their gender identity? Like when does that usually happen? So this is a difficult question because it happens for everyone at a different time. I know for myself, I kind of struggled with this for a long time. And I kept saying, you know, I'm not trans, I'm just a lesbian. And I fought that feeling for a long time until I came to the realization nothing I did changed how I felt about myself because it is that differentiation between, you know, sexual preference or sexual orientation and gender identity. I basically woke up one day and said, yeah, I've been fighting this for a while and I think this is what it is and I should probably look into it. And it was after I had read about it because I thought that this was just how most people felt about themselves. And when someone puts those feelings that you have into words, you don't feel like it's just you anymore. You realize that this is a common thing amongst people and that could happen to someone in their 20s or their 30s or 40s or 50s. And it does happen to some people when they're teenagers or even younger. It just depends on that person and how well aware of their own gender identity they are. Mm -hmm. So it's very personal. Yeah, it's as personal as it can get. Right, absolutely. Um, and, and so one of the things as we were looking at questions that, you know, people have, but maybe, you know, aren't willing or um, aren't ready to ask about the transgender community, one of the things that came up um, quite a bit is whether or not this is a phase or is this something that people grow out of? Can you talk a bit about that? I, I think of this analogy when I when I talk about this because it everyone can relate to this. Um, imagine the things that you really like and your parents didn't. And they would constantly tell you, well, it's a phase, you'll get over it. Um, and you tend not to. There are habits that you take on to with you through adulthood, through having your own kids or whatever your choices may be. So you can't really say, hey, I'm transgender, this is just a phase. And the other thing that I like to tell most people is, if I could choose otherwise, I probably would, because this is not a diff. This is not an easy life to live by, and you really have to be comfortable with yourself going through this. And there's a lot of medical interventions that you have to go through to even start this process that basically solidify how you feel. And if it was a phase, that process would weed that out. It'll it would help you understand this isn't for me or this isn't who I am. So most people that do go through transitioning are 100% transgender people and things like having behavioral health screenings before you're put on hormones do help with this because someone that is thinking that they're transgender may not be and going to behavioral health may help them understand the difference between the two of those. And if you get past behavioral health and you're diagnosed with gender dysphoria, there's a very small probability that you're not or it is a phase. Um, because everyone along the way will tell you everything you do is irreversible. So I think you would probably back out at some point if it was a phase. So, and I think you say something really important there too, um, about personally that this, you know, that this is really difficult. Um, so if it were a choice, you maybe would make another choice. So, and I think that's important to highlight, um, what are some of the things that, um, have been challenges, um, about, living 
um, transgender? What are some of the challenges that that people experience? Uh, well, the list is infinite, but to simplify it, um, just talking about, let's talk about the health concerns, right? If you if you're transgender and you need to start hormones, they can be expensive. Um, it's difficult to find a physician that will take care of you or do transgender hormones, which is known throughout the community as HRT, hormone replacement therapy. And the amount of debt that you go into, because I like to relate things to people in a way that they understand. Would you choose to buy a 40 something thousand dollar car if you didn't really need it or unless you were very well capable of purchasing it um, so for people that are transitioning you have to find expensive doctors that do your care or that do your surgeries and there are other effects that can happen your physician will make you aware of what testosterone can do to the body and the toll that it can take on your heart based on studies that were done on older men because there's not a lot of clinical studies done on transgender people currently so they have to use the data that they have the same goes for transgender women that's our estrogen most estrogen studies are done on people who have gone through menopause so it's you have to kind of understand that there's a large spectrum of problems that can happen and sacrifices that you have to make the list is never ending on the struggles that people go through let alone the danger that's probably the biggest issue within the transgender community that even someone like me, who's very comfortable talking about it in a workspace, I might not be comfortable talking about it on the street because we do live in a rural area. And North Carolina has had a lot of murders, not to make this grim, but it's the truth and the things that we have to talk about. Um, there are murders of transgender women and it's predominantly trans black women. And there are things that people don't wanna talk about or look at but this is where we live and we have to be aware of the struggles that people go through. And if anyone could choose otherwise, I don't think people would choose to be broke, in danger, lose their family, and God knows what else. Extremely well said, um, Demir, for sure. I think um, I appreciate you being willing to, um, to really kind of flush out um, a list. And I know, like you said, it, we could probably talk all day about um, about the impacts alone and how people are treated. So I think that's really important. Um, and, and you you mentioned um, as well just the experience of transitioning, and that happens to be one of those things that people have a lot of misunderstanding about and a lot of questions. Um, can you talk a bit about what does it mean when we say transition? What does that mean? So. The main, and this is yet again, something that can be personal for everyone. There are trans and non-binary people that choose not to take hormones or that choose not to have surgeries. So what I say is from my perspective and from the perspective of the few people around me that I know have gone through the same thing in my own research. If we're talking someone who has gone through what is known as the most common transition, which means hormone surgery, et cetera, the first step is hormones. Transitioning could be anything between coming out to your family. That's usually the first step or coming out to your friends, deciding your name, and then looking for care. So starting hormones would be myself, a female to male starting testosterone or a male to female starting estrogen. 
there's a lot of steps that happen before that therapy to get a diagnosis because most in the state of North Carolina do do that and it's common practice to have a patient go through behavioral health just to make sure that the patient is aware of what they're doing and that this is how they do feel truly inside then the next step would be surgery so if you've started hormones and you've been on them for a while and say if you were female to male a common surgery is a dual mastectomy which is top surgery which is just having a flat chest and being able to present yourself like that in public and then the one that most people um this is a no-no and most people shouldn't ask about unless you're directly related to someone and you have the a-okay of this person to ask but bottom surgery because this is very personal you should never ask someone what's in their pants regardless of what their gender identity is um, but especially transgender people um, and that's a surgery that is very very personal because it is a difficult surgery for both sexes and it's it is extraneous there's research on why people do and don't do it you know is this advanced enough is it not so that's kind of the the most basic and i say that in very loose terms because everyone is different and, and speaking of healthcare, uh, we work in health in the healthcare, and and so according to um, to Lambda Legal, almost 56 percent of lesbian, gay, or bisexual um, respondents to a survey they did had at least one experience of discrimination in healthcare, and 70 percent of transgender and gender nonconforming respondents had one or more um, experiences of discrimination in healthcare. So I would love to hear your thoughts as you certainly are an educator around our system. What are your thoughts on how we and the medical field can make the experience better for transgender and lesbian, gay, bisexual, other um, patients in the community? So this is a topic my whole purpose is to make sure that trans people and anyone from the LGBTQIA feels comfortable getting care. But those systems in place are outdated. And some of the questions within healthcare that people think are routine aren't very routine anymore. There's a lot of things that we could do. First off, by just listening to the patient, regardless of if you're of the community or not. Listening to patients improves patient care, regardless of how you identify. So the first step that you can do is implementing preferred names on forms, because I might want a preferred name and I'm a trans man, and Mary Jo might want a preferred name because she doesn't like being called Mary Jo. So it has everything to do with that first interaction with the patient. And that, that's on the ambulatory side where, you know, inpatient, you may not have the opportunity to be so delicate about things because it could be an emergent situation. You could have multiple people handling this patient's care that did not see them 12 hours beforehand. It's about taking the time to introduce yourself to figure out what this patient's needs are and work off of that. Providers who aren't educated are taking the time to be educated to care for those patients because we've realized I mean, I've realized a long time ago because I'm trans, but we're just people needing care, regardless of what medication you're on. 
my joke about this is if you have a patient that comes in with a disease you've never heard before, are you going to turn them away or are you going to at least hear them out and find, do you need a referral? Um, is this something that I can handle or is it in my scope? And if it's not continuing with CMEs and learning about this, because it is, there's a lot, like you said, a large population. So if it was 44%, what's the other percentage of patients not seeking care doing? They're going without meds or they're seeking care in illegal ways, which is just dangerous, but a real concern. There is a, a market of hormones on the street and that's dangerous for a patient because they're not being prescribed by a physician. The thing about being in healthcare is we're with patients in their most vulnerable moments. There are things you tell the doctor that you will never tell your family. And if you tell me that's not true, you're lying. So if you want to implement some kind of care for patients, it's really based on department. What can you do in your department? Because that could be different in med surge or that could be different in the ICU or in an ambulatory setting. It's about reaching out and trying to figure out how you can do that is one of the most important steps. For sure. And I, I, I think this is why um, I think the training that the education that you've provided, at least for, um, for our system, has been so important. Um, because, as you said, the um, physicians really, providers need to be um, be aware um, uh, of what the needs might be, what the community um, might, what those experiences might be as well. Just uh, when someone comes to you, why they might be more anxious um, in a healthcare setting, for sure. So I think it's really important um, that the education that you're that you're talking about. So speaking of experiences in healthcare and how we can make them better, one of the things that comes up a lot and that people have questions about are pronouns. Let's talk about a bit um, why pronouns are important. Pronouns are so important, um, especially when you think about the South. You know, we always introduce ourselves with ma'am and sir. Um, someone's pronouns are just how they identify and how they would like to be addressed. So if I'm a trans man and I like my pronouns to be he, him, or his, that means that you would just identify or speak to me in terms of male pronouns. And it goes for transgender women and non-binary people that use they, them. A way that I like to introduce myself that I have seen works really well because someone who doesn't care about pronouns isn't going to get upset about it, but someone who does will feel a little more safe talking to you and being open about their problems right away versus being on guard. Um, the way I introduce myself and even Dr. Alexander is, hello, my name's Demir, my pronouns are he, him, how am I help you today? And that little brief added to a sentence can go so far for a patient to feel comfortable. And I've seen more people at help than people at upset. I think out of the hundreds of people I've told, maybe one or two have gotten upset out of the many that it's given the opportunity to say, hey, I am looking for trans care, or they reiterated back to me saying, hey, my name is Amy, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm having abdominal pain. So it can go a long way to make a very small change that may be difficult in the beginning, but if you get into the habit long enough, you do it all the time and you're going to help more people. And it's such, when you think about how small a lift that is, um, it's just a couple of more words 
but that can you know signal safety for um, for another person. Um, that's that's a huge gain. So and I will say that in the setting that I am, where we do do you know preventative care screenings. I can't remember the exact statistic of where I found it, but most trans people have to educate their providers or people avoid getting certain types of care. There have been times where if you introduce yourself like that, a patient will be honest about their sexual orientation and then doing screenings that could save their life or others. So it, it can go a long way. For sure. So I would love to know what are um, what is some of the feedback that you're hearing? What's the impact that you're hearing from people who who participating in your training? What are they telling you um, about how this makes a difference? A really big one that's has stuck with me, and this is one I had done probably a year ago now. Um, it was during a meeting I did in a management workshop, and I'm not going to say where because they are a leader there. And let's just say there were some form of assistant director and they reached out to me after they had been in the class. They had sent some messages in their private chat asking me questions. And to me, they seemed a little bit apprehensive, which is okay. I think that asking questions that are difficult are better to ask in a safe space versus then assuming and then bringing that into a conversation. They told me that because of the conversation that we had had in the questions that I had answered for them made them realize that this isn't a choice and that if it was a choice, it would definitely not be the one most people choose. No one chooses to make their lives more difficult or put themselves in danger. And because of that, they decided to, they said they were going to reach out to their child that they had stopped talking to because of this, because they thought it was a phase or they, they thought it was something they hated based off of their viewpoints. And a big thing I want to express is that being transgender, no one ever wants to impact anyone else's view. I think that you have your right to view things the way that you do, but you should also understand that trans people are just people. And sometimes we, we lose sight of that when we don't have those people in our lives and we don't get to have these conversations. And for me, that was the best answer I had ever had or an email I had ever received after that because if someone can understand what it's like for just a, a few minutes, because it was 30 minutes, and that meant them talking to their child again, that's something I'm extremely proud about. And I will definitely toot my own horn, because that's something that most people will never get to experience. And they'll always have that distant relationship with their family because of it. Yeah. I mean, that's wildly impactful. You're talking about really changing the relationship um, within a family, but also that employees are then in a position where um, they can at least know the next time that I, I, I experience this patient, I've learned now. Uh, what's the right way to approach this? And it simply is, um, we all are continuing to learn. Um, and it is our uh, our understanding continues to evolve um, in society in general as we seek to be more inclusive. So I think it's phenomenal uh, what you've been able to do and the impact that you've been able to make here. Um, certainly with, you know, considering the statistics from Lambda Legal, about the experience for transgender um, patients in particular, it, it's, it makes it all the more meaningful 
um, the contribution that you make here at Cone. Thank you for listening to Authentic Moments. To hear more episodes and receive information about our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts at Cone Health, click the link to visit our SharePoint site.